That was lovely. Thank you. You'll see in today's text that there is an ongoing debate about who killed Christ. Most famously, Martin Luther, you know, said that the Jews killed Christ. It's not a coincidence that the Holocaust happened in Germany. But you also see that some think the Gentiles killed Christ. And so to avoid involving myself in that controversy altogether, I'm going to preach from 1 John that says nothing about any of those things. Um, But I want you to hear these texts because they're really important. So beginning in Acts, the fourth chapter, starting at the 32nd verse, we hear this. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Then we go to John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing in you, through believing, you may have life in his name. And then we go to 1 John, the first chapter. 
We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the beginning, God created the light and the dark, and it was good. In the beginning, God created man and woman, and it was good. Creation was made good. And I remember, based on that fact, sitting in an intro theology class with my classmates discussing whether or not human beings were really sinful creatures. I think we're really good, said one starry-eyed, bright young thing. I'm a good person. I live a good life. God created me good. You can understand how someone could get there, I suppose. But if we look at the scriptures, we see something a little different. Most famously, Paul, the apostle, is the one who has said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
We may have been created good, but now, after the fall, we are, in fact, all sinners. Most famously, our friend Bob Willits quotes this theology well when he says, you can't not sin. Now, there are people in this world who don't believe that. I remember having a conversation with somebody in college, and she said, you know, all this stuff, I don't believe it. And I said, what stuff? And she said, you know, the Christian stuff. And I said, like what? And she said, well, first of all, I think I'm good. I don't believe in sin. I said, what do you mean you don't believe in sin? Look around the world. How can you not believe in sin? We're horrible to each other. She said, no, can't go there. I think people are mostly good. And as she talked, I said, finally said to her, I said, if you don't believe in sin, what do you need Jesus for? And she said to me, I don't. That's the problem. There is a presumption maybe even a theorem, an axiom in Christian theology that human creatures are sinful. And if we can't get there, it is very hard to follow the rest of the story. The text today tells us why. Because if you don't believe you are a sinner, you live self-deceived. You are just fooling yourself. In the beginning, God created man and woman, and they sinned against God by eating the fruit of the tree. And then what did they do? They deceived themselves. They hid. They hid their responsibility. Woman said, no, it was the serpent's fault. Man said, no, it was the woman's fault. They hid themselves by putting on clothes and fig leaves. They hid from God by standing in places where they thought God could not see them. They were self-deceived and hid their sin from themselves but never from God. You see, here's the thing this text tells us. Because of Jesus, we can have the confidence to no longer be self-deceived, to admit to ourselves and to others that we need forgiveness and that through Christ it is offered completely to us by the mercy of God. The whole paragraph reflects the complicated balance of faithful Christian life. Christians must acknowledge our sin, but we do not wallow in it. We do not have to be stuck there. 
Confession involves not only wiping away of our old sins, but establishing new righteousness. As the faithful, we are both forgiven and cleansed. Nothing in our worship happens by chance. Nothing. And if you look at the section where the confession starts, you can see that. It is this text born out practically. We are able to confess our sins, and we do so corporately. Then we have silent confession, which is supposed to be our individual time of purging, of admitting, of acknowledging our sins. We sing a response so that Debbie has something to do. Oh, wait, no, that's not right. We sing a response to acknowledge that and to allow God to enter into our confession. Then, then we receive our pardon. We acknowledge the grace of Jesus Christ in forgiving us. We acknowledge that Christ is the atoning sacrifice for us, that we don't have to live in that sinful state, but we can turn it over to God and be forgiven. We are not stuck living in our past, no matter what it is, no matter how much hurt is in it, no matter how much hurt we've caused, we can find forgiveness. And because of that, we sing glory to God. But having confessed our sins, having received forgiveness, then we are able to forgive one another. That's why we pass the peace. We have peace because we're cleansed and forgiven. Then we pass it on. It's the message of today's text, and it's right here in our worship. We do it every week, not by coincidence, but because it is an acknowledgement of the grace and mercy of God. Friends, believe the gospel. In Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen.